Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. And we're off, we're off, we're off. And we're off, and we're back. We're back, we're back after a, a summer holiday. Uh, Does it feel like a holiday? No, it's gone by very quickly, and it wasn't planned, was it? And now we're doing this. I felt like a natural barrier at the end of the first season, uh, at the end of the second season, we'll call them seasons. What what used to break over the summer holidays, Nathaniel? What used to break? School. Yes. Yeah, but like, there used to be TV shows that would break over the summer holidays and then they'd Oh, yeah. Come back what did again. we have? I think you probably things like Tomorrow's World and things like that, I think, probably took a serious. When, when it was like sport, wasn't it? You'd have sport all summer and they didn't bother putting. So, so going live used to take a break over the summer. Yes, that's right. So this is a little bit like, um, I'm Andy Peters, you're Emma Forbes. We've taken a little <laughs> break over the summer. Now we're back. We're back. Right in time for summer. <laughs> and we're um, about to be replaced by the stars of the ozone. who are going to come in and sweep and take our jobs. Who was in the ozone? It was, um, wasn't it Zoe Ball and uh, Jamie Thigston ended up taking over, didn't oh, they? Oh, wow. I can't remember the... I, I can remember the Ozone now you say it, but I couldn't... And what were their sort of, like, comedy interlude characters on the Ozone? Oh, on... Um, oh, God. So, yeah, Trevor and Simon on going live and live and kicking. And I think for a Is while... They... Well, I can't, I can't think what they were called. They did. I think they replaced them for a bit, didn't they? They had some new ones. Yeah, um, I remember Mark Heap and Steve Frost were on uh, What's Up Doc on ITV. Yes, they were. And What's Up Doc really was um, all about the content, wasn't for it? For sure, for sure. It had Animaniacs, Tiny Toons, and Batman the Animated Series. Incredible, incredible lineup. Just absolutely, there was no such thing as BBC One after... Uh, What's up, Doc? Started. No, it just blew it out. It blew it out of the water. It's based all about the content. Well, I'd, I'd say that the presenters on BBC were more memorable, but uh, I don't remember what shows that they showed. But I remember yeah. that ITV always had the best because they were adverts for toys, weren't they? So, yeah, they had the best ones. You had your, your Earthworm Jims, your Samurai Pizza Cats, your Rude Dog and the Dweebs. They were all ITV. I'm sure Rude Dog and the Dweebs was ITV, right? I think Rude Dog and Dreams might have been BBC. In my mind, that's that a BBC. The, that wasn't a toy line, was it? No, no. And then that was what just else a cool, was there? Uh, I guess you would have had all, yeah, all the toy line ones. Your He-Man, your Transformers. Although I think BBC had Thundercats, didn't they? Controversially. And Turtles. BBC had Turtles. They did too. Oof, the Turn Traitor. BBC had Turtles, but they were, I remember there being sort of like lots of stuff at the time. The head of BBC... Um, was, uh, I can't remember what her name was, or maybe it was the head of t- the children's programme, the head of BBC, and basically she was saying that she got duped into uh, purchasing the turtles because she only realised afterwards that it was basically it was a half-hour toy commercial. I bet that worked but out all right from that. If you're working in the kids' in, in kids TV, you must be aware of that, surely. Mm. Real Ghostbusters, that was ITV, but that wasn't, that was weekdays. Garfield and Friends, weekdays. That wasn't, that wasn't your Saturday morning stuff. The Toxic Avenger. No? What was he, what was he called? The Toxic Crusader. That was Toxic the Crusaders, days. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that was the trauma, um, trauma that is basically... a kids TV show based on uh, a sort of foul, violent, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a violent, a violent TV, a violent, a violent series of films that centre around uh, rape and age jokes. <laughs> uh, they decided to turn into a kids' TV series. Perfect uh, for, for Saturday mornings. You get absolutely, absolutely <laughs> perfect. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Um, that is. Sorry. Anyway, we're back. Um, you look incredible, Nathaniel. Have you lost loads of weight? No. Do you know what it is? Um, my I do this on my brother's uh, desktop computer, and he's got a better screen, and it just makes me look better. It it, it holds the light better. So I look, I look all right, but um, I'm the same inside. You know, I'm still, I'm still exactly the same. But you the look, light holds you, better, you, so it looks more, look more professional setup. It's got a better camera on it, I think. Better lenses. Yeah, look, I, I think you're slightly out of focus, if anything. But um, you look absolutely incredible. Your hair is great. Your Thank skin you. is great. Thank uh, you. Your uh, your shirt seems to be clean. And, it is clean. Uh, you look well rested and uh, at, at, at peace with yourself. Thank you, thank you. I feel quite tired. I've I've I've, I've, I've since gone back to work, so I've been very busy for Just two take, weeks. Uh, take a fucking compliment, all right? Oh well, yeah. I was about to return the compliment. Never <laughs> <laughs> mind. Right. You don't. You don't. You don't look tired at all. How is how is work? Busy. Well, I feel busy. I mean, like I feel like I've been in a lot, and um, it's all right. You know, I've, I've seen a film. I saw well, barely a film, really. I saw a film called um, The Human Voice, which is a new Pedro Almodovar film, but it's only half an hour long. So you go to the is cinema. The... Yeah, it's Tilda Swinton, so it's just her on her own. What's it called? The Human Voice. Yeah, and That's it's he's made Paddy it. Mc... It's not the Paddy McGuinness thing. It's on Saturday night. No, it's not that, no. They haven't put that on. That would be quite desperate for content if they're putting on the Paddy McGuinness show. Um, this is like, um, it's, yeah, it's just, he's, his new film just happens to be 30 minutes long. And so to pad it out, you have the film and then an interview with Pedro Almodovar and Tilda Swinton give it with uh, Mark Kermode. But what's great about it is you go to the cinema, see a film for half an hour, see a little Q&A after, and it's an hour and a quarter. Done. Back in the world. What? I so, so um, uh, okay, so it's half hour. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. You know, I would, it's, not, it's not mind-blowing, but it's nice to see someone in the cinema again. It's like a one-woman monologue, essentially, with... Um, Tilda Swinton walking around her house on the phone. What's it called? The Sound of My Voice? It's called The Human Voice. Right, OK. OK, right. And I the think human... it's like a Bunuel film or something. It's based on, like, an old... I think Bunuel? it's a play that Bunuel wrote. Have you and... Bunuel? <laughs> I have Bunuel, thank you. Thanks for asking. How have you, Boon? Um, no, come on, let's not talk about that. Let's... Let's keep avoiding, let's keep deflecting. Keep it like... Keep, 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 keep deflecting how, how I've been. How have you been? 
I went for a I went for a drink with um our mutual friend Jason Dawson on Sunday. <laughs> and um uh we had uh I think we just went for a, yeah, we I I had a couple of cokes, diet cokes, and he had um I can't remember what he had. And um we had a little nice little catch up and at the end of it the waiter came over and uh he said, "This sounds like a humble bread. I suppose it is a humble bread, but I, I'm, it, it, I, there's no, it, most people that know me know that I don't have that in me." <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the waiter came over and said, "Oh, I'm a massive fan of because Jason is a, is a producer. He's a TV producer, and uh, he produces uh, Russell. He used to produce Russell Howe's Good News uh, five years younger than me." Uh, but he's done very well for himself. And uh, the waiter came over and he said, oh, I'm such a massive fan of Uncle. And I just said, thank you. And this is Jason. He put me on TV for the first time 11 years ago. <laughs> and, then, and then I stepped away from it and I let, I let, them, uh, I let them chat. And Jason just said that, was absolutely stunning deflection. Um, <laughs> and I, I genuinely just, I just didn't know what to do with it. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, but the, so I went past the cinema, right? So you work mm-hmm. at a cinema. You yeah. don't really, you don't really like talking about it. You work at a cinema. But we both love the cinema more than anything in the world, I think. Yeah. Um, and if not the cinema, film. Uh, and cinema a close second, but I went past the cinema yesterday. No, uh, maybe Monday, and um, two posters were in the cinema, which I just found really interesting. One of them was for Tom Cruise, Top Gun Maverick. Sure. Uh, and it says in cinemas and IMAX, summer twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I imagine it's coming out soon. I can't. Um, I'm trying to keep up with release dates. They keep moving. I thought it well, was like July. It didn't come out. It didn't come out in summer 2020, right? No, I certainly didn't do that. And the Lux have had uh, the OG and Lux have had like this big sort of like reopening thing. It feels like it's been shut. It's been shut. It's been shut. Hey, we're open. And to celebrate, they put a poster for Top Gun Maverick uh, <laughs> saying it's coming summer 2020. Then the other end of the scale. <laughs> is uh, James Bond No Time to Die and that just says in cinemas twenty twenty one hopefully I guess hopefully in cinemas at some point twenty twenty one and then they'll say they'll be giving the posters out to the cinema they say, You see this poster? That's good all year that is. Uh, <laughs> and we'll be giving out we'll be giving out new posters uh, for next no time year. to die next year. This is your. It's like your calendar. It's like your. It's like your 2021 calendar. Is a no time to die, die poster. You go, very similar to my 2020 calendar. <laughs> when was no time to die meant to come out? It's 2019. <laughs> yeah, no. I could have. Will it be? No, it was meant to come out. I think 2020, like April. I think April yeah. 2020. A quiet place. Let's quiet place like, part so, two. Yeah. That's out this week. And that was the film that was going to open the week before the pandemic started. See, now, A Quiet Place 2, if you'd have told me that was out on Netflix and it had already been at a cinema, I'd have gone like, yeah, sure. 
I mean, like absolutely, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> fucking. I've I've got no idea. But no time to die. It was meant to come out what April twenty twenty, and mm-hmm. they delayed it to September, and then they went nah November Christmas, and then we went nah it'll be definitely the New Year. Ah uh, no, fuck it. At some point in twenty twenty one, it's de- it's definitely had like five delays. Yeah. And some of them, some of them might have been secret reshoots. I don't give a fuck about James Bond. I just think it's really interesting that they've totally given up. I think it's gone, like they haven't, ah! <laughs> they haven't issued new posters for anything. So everyone's got these old, dated posters that have the completely wrong date on it. Hopefully, some of them we're hoping might. Some of them I think just say things like "coming in August," and you go, "Well, maybe." But it was going to be August 2020, and you kind of hope it it sort of lines up again that you can go. That's still valid, still makes sense. Still, absolutely, still valid. Uh, or they'll just be like sending out uh, sharpies to cinemas everywhere. <laughs> just you, you do it, you do it yourself. Uh, <laughs> like posters are just coming out with months and dates on them, and then you're meant to just scribble out the ones that aren't applicable. <laughs> Fucking. It's fucking, it's so, int- it's so interesting. It is, because that is, you know, like when you, um, in uh, I Am Legend, the Will Smith movie, mm-hmm. and uh, New York is deserted, and there's a poster for Batman versus Superman that's in Times Square for this film that they'll never make that, will they? That'll never come out. And, um, and Will Smith is like walking around this deserted New York and there's posters for films that never come out. And it's sort of like that, going past. I mean, to make it really, it's like, a, a, it's a nerd, it's a nerd within a nerd within a nerd. It's like, <laughs> oh, I was looking at the uh, posters for the cinema, uh, and I saw that the sequel to Top Gun, uh, to Top Gun, called Top Gun Maverick, uh, the poster, which was rather amusing to me, uh, said that it was coming out in summer 2020, which reminded me, of course, of the, uh, <laughs> the third adaptation of the novel I Am Legend, I Am Legend, following on, obviously, from The Last Man on Earth and Amiga Man, signed Charles and Heston. And it reminds me of the rather amusing scene in Times Square. It was completely deserted, and there's a poster for the, as of the time, fictional movie, Batman vs. Superman. Man. That's what that's what sprung to mind as I was walking walking through Holloway Road on a beautiful roasting bank holiday Monday. Anyway, Nathaniel, how have you been? <laughs> if you had a blog, that's what it'd be. It's like one. Of, it's, it's like a scene from Alan Bennett's diaries. What a beautiful yeah, little be, small tale. By the blog, it would be one entry uh, directly preceding my suicide. (laughs) 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 I think um, uh, I did have a I did have a blog. I did I did a blog. We've talked about this, surely. I had a blog years ago where it was me getting ready for Edinburgh, and I was just like, "I'm going to let you in behind the scenes, take you." Step by step through the process of writing an Edinburgh show, <laughs> and then that was like, you know, Mar- March two thousand and nine, <laughs> and then in like, <laughs> oh, and then in like August, no, it wouldn't have been August, but in like November two thousand and ten, it was like I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like two entries, and it was like, yeah, fuck it, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not one for. I've stopped making a record of all the films that I've seen on Twitter because I felt 
too sad about it. It was so, the numbers <laughs> are so high. Yeah, so when I they just, start stacking up. I just save. Um, I just saved the poster on uh, my um, uh, on my phone on photos, and then I scroll through it and remember all of the films that I've seen. But I've stopped telling people. <laughs> so, so how's Letterbox working out for you? Yeah, it's good because it's kind of easier. I don't have to. It's just like a nice little. You put it in there, and you can kind of forget about it. Whereas before, I it felt like there was a pressure to do. One thing I don't really like about it, I don't like having to put a, like it's well it encourages it to put like a star rating in, and it makes when doing it just makes me think what a worthless idea all star ratings are on films. It's like it doesn't mean anything. Well, it doesn't mean anything. It, I was I was having a conversation last night, in fact, about Adam Sandler films, and I was like saying, most all all Adam Sandler films. Uh, uh, an Adam Sandler film, not including Uncut Gems and Punch Drunk Love and stuff like that, that are films that he is in. But all Adam Sandler films are between one and three stars. Mm. And I would still pick a one-star Adam Sandler film over a lot of films if I'm just sort of like, if I just want to <laughs> put something... <laughs> I don't know, I mean, you, as soon as you start saying it out loud, it sounds insane. <laughs> no, no, I think I, I, I've realised that almost the best films, when, when you've got a star rating, I'll go, oh, I love this. And I go to give it a star rating, and you go, oh, I love this film. Three and a half. But it, I love it. Watch it loads. Three and a half. But, uh, Brilliant. But, but it's, it's, I don't think that they're comparable to each other. Do you know mm. what I mean? It's exactly. Like if, you know, if you say Fifty uh, First Dates is a three star movie. And then you mm-hmm. see Citizen Kane, and you go, ah, oh, yeah, I think that that was, was good, but it's aged in places. I'd, I'd say it's like three stars, and Casablanca's five stars. Uh, and, you know, uh, it, you're not like saying that Fifty First Eight is as good as, do you know what I mean? And you mm-hmm. might not even be saying that, uh, that Citizen Kane is as good as Fifty First Eight, because when you want to sit down and watch something, it's not necessarily going to be. Uh, up until 2008, or whenever it was, the greatest film of all time, Casablanca, it might just be, oh, that film with uh, Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. Um, so they're not necessarily even like for like. It can just be like how you're feeling at that time. You can only really compare an Adam Sandler film to another Adam Sandler film. Because exactly. it's, the only, it's the only sane uh, barometer. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you can't be comparing it to actual things well on a on a aside from that um Mm. 51st 51st state not 51st dates 51st state drew barrymore and uh, adam sandler yeah yeah and there's 51st state with oh yeah 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 yeah. with adam sandler and the samuel l jackson one the 51st state yes um and he yes I know, I knew all along. I know, um, you know. He plays a he plays a character called McElroy, right? He does. And I was always like, "Is that going to be like?" Because he's Scottish in it, hasn't he? He's mm. got Scottish descendancy. So fifty first, the fifty first state mm-hmm. is in um, 
is uh, in relation to uh, Britain being America's 51st state. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. That's and my understanding. Great Britain. And um, Jack, it was written by a cab driver. Uh, yes. And he handed it to the right person, and then it got made into a film. And uh, when did it come out? 2000? 2001? 90, 98? 98, wow. I bet. Uh, that's one for Natalie. I reckon later. I reckon about 2003. I think 98. I think I went to see it with a girl, my, my girlfriend from sixth form. And um, it would have been before I went to university. It was 2001. 2001. Fuck off. Oh. Well, what was I doing with her in 2001? Well, <laughs> I was watching <laughs> the 51st state. Um, and uh, Samuel Jackson has Scottish descendancy, mm-hmm. uh, so he wears a kilt for the film. Who's the guy in it? Is it Robert Carlyle? Yes, Robert Carlyle. And who's the bad guy in it? Oh, I remember it's got meatloaf in it, isn't it? Yes. It's like, it's sort of American, but... But it's a it's it's one million percent a British production. Absolutely, and they've got they've got enough money for a kind of a genuine American star in Samuel L. Jackson. But he is also the kind of guy that would do absolutely anything. Absolutely. And, and then you've got perfect. Then you've got Meatloaf, who is he was the bus driver on Spice World. So it's just kind of like, it's not like, oh, wow, we've got, guess who we've got? It's kind of like, you've got a guy that's already proven that he is up for anything. So you've got Meatloaf, and it's trying to make it feel a little bit more international, but it's basically, it's an American thing. So Sean Pertry, Reese Ifans, and of course, Cheggers. So they're all in it. It's got Sinbad from Brookside in it as well. That's what I remembered. And, right. uh, <laughs> and it's lovely to see him on screen. Big fan of Sinbad, so it was Samuel, a treat. <laughs> but Samuel L. Jackson is called McElroy, and right. I was just like, isn't that McElroy? Yes. Aren't they saying, aren't they, because that's like, well, I don't know how else it is, but Elmo McElroy, but they call him McElroy. But it's like Tim McInerney, and I always thought it was Tim McInerney. Yes. But, yeah, I was, I was about to say, but you've just disputed it. Perhaps one is like a, an American pronunciation. But I think you're... No, that doesn't make sense, does it? You're no, right. Tim, Tim McInerney, I was just pronouncing it different, wrong my whole life. But McElroy, I just remember at the time, and this was back in 2001, I remember turning around to Emma at the time and said, why are they calling him McElroy? And uh, <laughs> Emma, Emma was gone. Um, but that's the 51st <laughs> have I you seen that. it recently? no I haven't seen it recently but when I saw it at the cinema uh, as I was leaving this is just what I mean about star ratings and, and what they mean is that there was a guy leaving in, in front of me and he turned to his mate and said that's the best film I've ever seen <laughs> and I quite <laughs> liked it I got it was a perfectly watchable film Perfectly watchable, but I remember that really stuck with me. I think about it all the time. I go, the best film you've ever seen. <laughs> I don't even believe it's the best um, Sinbad from Brookside film. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's certainly not Samuel L. Jackson's best film, because it made me think, how many films have you seen? That man yeah, has always well, fascinated yeah. me. <laughs> 
It's always fascinated me, that comment. Because I went, you know, I had a bit of material about this, about Sliding Doors, and someone said Sliding Doors is their favourite film, and I was like, it's your favourite film? <laughs> I was like, you better have only seen one film. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, as soon as you see another film, Sliding Doors is your second favourite film. Do you know what I mean? Um, but um, but the, 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 it came out at a time where it was basically, um, it was like this Quentin Tarantino slash Guy Ritchie-inspired gangster movie, which, yeah. unbelievably, they managed to get Samuel L. Jackson to actually be in. Yeah. And you kind of like go, wow, okay, we're off. Um, yeah, I, I remember seeing it at the cinema, and I remember, obviously, all of the details that I've just said are the details I remember. I remember the poster, um, and uh, I've never thought about it since, I don't think. It's like it one was, of those films where it pops in your head like once every eight years, maybe, and you're like, did that happen? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, it did, yeah. Samuel Jackson was a really, a real gift at that time because I think, like I think he almost continues to, right? Isn't one of his things that, unlike a lot of movie stars, he just loves to work, I believe. So he is just like, I think he still does about five movies a year. Like he's like, yep, yeah, he just wants to keep working. And I think it's a real gift for a film like that. So he was probably number one choice for the 51st State with an idea that we'll never get him. But, of course, it just fits into his uh, schedule and he's there. Yeah. He will do anything. Like, as long as yeah. he's like, yeah, I'll, I'm happy to do that. If that, oh, whatever the next film is in, uh, just line him up with my agent and I'll keep doing them. Well, I think, I, I imagine as long as there was a, I don't think that Samuel L. Jackson being in a film can make or break a film. I don't think that putting Samuel L. Jackson in the film uh, means that it's uh, it's not going to be a, a blockbuster. But what it does is it gives it a certain level of credibility. So you put Samuel L. Jackson in the new Saw film, and um, it sort of makes me want to watch it out of curiosity because Chris Rock came up with a story, and Chris Rock is, what's it called, Spiral? Spiral, so the, new, yeah. the ninth, is it the ninth or the tenth Saw film in the series from the Book of Saw, a story from the Book of Saw, the movie called Spiral, that's conceived and starring Chris Rock and the star Samuel Jackson as his dad. And maybe this is a bad example because I'm sort of intrigued to see it. Um, but you put Samuel Jackson, I don't know, uh, Samuel Jackson in Deep Blue Sea, and you kind of like go, it doesn't make me want to see the film more. But it's sort of like maybe a quality level. Whereas I think Bruce Willis likes working a lot. And so mm -hmm. does Nicolas Cage. But they've done so much shit that it's kind of like you, you ne you'll you never trust a Nicolas Cage film again, really. Yes, you'll need yeah. like eight other people's opinions before you take a punt <laughs> on Willie's Wonderworld or Wonderland. <laughs> Should be called Wonderworld. Um Whereas for Samuel L. Jackson, I don't think that his um, quality level has ever, you know, yeah. dropped completely through. He's made good films and bad films, but he kind of, like, lends some sort of, like, gravitas to it. It's not got... box office. And again, he's like one of those actors, isn't he? Like um, De Niro or uh, Nicholson, later Nicholson, where it's kind of, you know what, you know what he's going to do in a film. 
he's not someone ever who ever seems to challenge himself greatly. I don't mean that as a criticism, but he's got that yeah. sort of almost like he's got like a sort of movie. He's like a movie star, but like a but not a movie star. He's almost like second. Um, he's like sort of sidekick, second person on the bill. But Samuel L. Jackson in a film is you're paying for to have Samuel L. Jackson. He's like a character, isn't he? The Samuel L. Jackson character. Do you know how many films Al Pacino made in the 80s? Um, no, I presume no, that's I probably his that's peak period. I think he made four. Really? He, yeah, it was like four or six. It's single figures. He hardly made any. What is it, like Sea of Love, is it? Serpico? I, was Serp I think Serpico was 70s. Oh, maybe. Um, like he, like, and then he sort of had like maybe a comeback with Dick Tracy, and then he did Carlito's Way, and then Scent of a Woman, and then it was like the opportunity show. He made a film called Author, Author. He did six, yeah. Author, Author. He did one about um, uh, the American Civil War. Um, Scarface. That's three, and then he did a three. He did three others. Um, yeah, I mean. We, we're kind of like waiting for Natalie to come up with a good thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. But then when you look at someone like, so I would say if you look at Chad Nicholson, uh, he uh, started out in the 60s. He was a writer. He worked for Roger Corman. He was in loads of B movies. And uh, and then in the, in the 70s, he sort of like started making a name for himself as an extraordinary actor. What a wonderful actor is Jack Nicholson. And then, in 1980, of course, he makes The Shining, which is almost like a pastiche of a Jack Nicholson part. And then every part in the 80s is kind of like playing up to... Well, not every part, that's not true. But then it, then he's kind of like playing up to the fact that this is me. I think 80s was probably the time that he had, like, loads of fun, where he could jump between Witches of Eastwick and uh, Jack Nicholson, and then he can... Uh, Jack Nicholson, The Shining, Batman... And then he can sort of like jump back again and do um, stuff like uh, When There's Man Trouble, 1990. But he's sort of like, um, and Reds, was he in Reds? And he kind of like is doing stuff with Warren Beatty and Danny DeVito. And then in the 90s, he's kind of, and when you, because when you have like Robert De Niro, it's kind of like he was this delicate, incredible actor in the 70s and the 80s. And then in the 90s, I think when he started making, yeah, Cruising, Author, Author, Scarface, Revolution, Sea of Love. One, two, three, four, five. Five films. Uh, and Into the Fire. Okay. Author, Author, Author is an absolutely, I like, it's a bonkers film. It's, it's terrible. It's like a family sitcom starring Al Pacino as a playwright. Who uh, who looks after twelve kids, <laughs> and they're uh, all yeah. kind of like he gets home he gets home after his play is opened and there's twelve kids that have waited up for him and they go, how did the night go, Dad? And he's like going, ah, oh, what can I say? Open your eyes, oh, and it's it's like Jack Nicholson hanging out with twelve kids writing plays. <laughs> it's it's not it's weird. It's just really weird. Um, but yeah, but with Robert De Niro, it's kind of like, from about Casino onwards, it's kind of like, oh, we've seen this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Casino's like Goodfellas too. 
And then it's like, oh, well, if we put him in Analyze This, it's all of the baggage that comes with him, and then he's in a comedy. And then it becomes like a pastiche of itself. I've just watched, oh, we've got to play a song. I've just watched the uh, Meet the Parents trilogy uh, in a 24-hour period. So, um, And shall we find out about that after this? No. <laughs> Well, okay, well, that's... Um... Just press play, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. With black. Um, so, um, uh, what were we talking about? Um... I'm gonna. I'm just gonna put them in an order. Uh, uh, parents, little fuckers, fuckers, in that order. Um, what have you been a fan of uh, this the, over the last? Um, Gosh, good right? question. Good question. What have I seen? I've seen a bunch of stuff. Um, I tell you, what, I saw a film I hadn't seen that was good. I saw the film Kong Skull Island having seen the Godzilla film and thought that was terrible. And Kong Skull well, Island... The, God, the, God, the, God, the Godzilla film? Yeah, the I haven't Godzilla seen Godzilla vs. Kong. You haven't seen Godzilla vs. Kong? So there's no. three Godzilla... Well, including... Okay, okay, right. So let, let's just do this in a systematic way, Nathaniel, instead yeah. of you know jumping in feet first like you always do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> putting, putting your... Jumper on sleeves first, and <laughs> then the neck, and then the body. Um, so let's just let's just do this properly. Um, so, in what 2013, 14? Something. Godzilla, Godzilla came out. Yeah. The Godzilla remake, and then uh, there was um, Kong Skull Island. Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. I saw that at the cinema. Uh, and then there was Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and then there was Godzilla vs. Kong that's mm-hmm. just come out on... Well, just come out. It was meant to come out of the cinema. <coughs> it's out of the cinema now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I rented for sixteen ninety nine so that I could watch it amongst all of my recycling and uh, rubbish in my living room. <laughs> um, so the... Who did the Gareth Edwards did um, Godzilla? Yes, he did. It seems seems like a good choice on paper because he did uh, the low budget movie Monsters, mm-hmm. which um, uh, I don't know how many people really saw Monsters, but Mo- like I would recommend Monsters. I saw it, I saw it within the last two years, and I think if you can get it on Blu-ray or DVD uh, with all the extras, that is great because I think. The film is good. Monsters is a good film. Three stars. But what actually knocks it out of the park is watching uh, all of the extras and the DVDs that um, that uh, Gareth Edwards did, because he basically made this science fiction movie in his bedroom. He took two people. Is it Scoot McNary? Oh, I don't know. 
it's a guy um, uh, in Man of Steel who uh, Bruce Wayne pulls out from underneath a girder at the beginning and is in a wheelchair, and Lex Luthor puts a bomb in his wheelchair and then they blow up Congress. I know the bit. I don't know the actor. It's it's not Congress, is it? But they blow up whatever it is. Um, So it's that guy. He is uh, in, I think it was his partner, and they're... They they went to South America and they improvised this film, and then when you watch the extras, basically, they just CGI'd every single signpost and all of this stuff to make it look like it was all biohazard everywhere. They just filmed, um, just daily life of these two people walking cross country, and then they just added all of this stuff in in post production. And it's almost like you can't really tell what they did. And you, there's a couple of shots of monsters, but you really see like these huge monsters from a human point of view. They go, oh, we're going to reboot Godzilla. You think, well, this guy's perfect because he's got this real vision of how to do it. And then, um, yeah, and then Godzilla happened. So what do you think? Well, I saw I saw Godzilla off the back of King of Monsters coming out, and I go, oh, I quite fancy watching that, but I never saw that Godzilla film. So I watched it to try and catch up, and I watched it, and it put me off going to see any more Godzilla films. I just thought it was rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. Total rubbish. That's the one with Brian Cranston, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. And He's uh, in for 10 Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah, so it's like Brian Cranston's in for ten minutes, and then he gets killed, and then you're like, it's like Bruce Campbell in Congo, where you spend the whole film thinking he's going to come back, <laughs> and he never does, and you're like, ah. Oh. Uh, and I would say I probably enjoy Congo more. Mm. I definitely did. I think. Um, right. So then, then what did you watch? Then I didn't, but then I sort of thought, oh, I've done it again, where I've gone, I quite fancy watching uh, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. But then I was like, but I didn't like Godzilla. But I decided I probably would, maybe I'll give Kong a go, because I've heard people say they like that. And I did. And I would say they were right. I'd say that's great. Kong really Skull Island. Yeah. It's, that's what it is, right? It's fun. I love, yeah. I love it. I loved it. I, well, I loved it. The cinema. I haven't really watched it back. I loved it so much that I got bought a uh, Richard Nixon bobblehead because they have one in their helicopter. When and, it, I, yeah. and it's like, I've got a Richard Nixon bobblehead, yeah, but it's a Kong Skull Island reference. Yeah. It's like, that, that's how nerdy, <laughs> nerdy that's got. Um, I think, yeah, I just thought it was... And that's the, that's the thing where Samuel L. Jackson comes along and you're not going to go and see Kong Skull Island because Samuel L. Jackson is in it. But he absolutely is the best thing in it, and he elevates yeah. it. And you're just like, well, he's the best thing in it next to Kong. Yeah. So you've got, like, so in it you've got Samuel L. Jackson and John Goodman, and you've just got these sort of the quite sort of really reliable people that as soon as they come on screen, you go, I like them. And you kind of need that in those movies. I think it's what it says, like you are saying about Brian Cranston in Godzilla, it's like you kind of need to have a good cast of people that you're kind of enjoying the characters anyway, and the sort of monsters, like the bonus, you know. Fun cast. You need to have a fun cast. Um, and I don't necessarily mean Independence Day fun, but, mm-hmm. so, uh, but a, 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 a cast of people that really you really trust to take you through having this good time. And Godzilla is not a fun film. But Kong yeah. Skull Island, which on paper you think is going to be shit. What I really like about it is they didn't just remake King Kong again. Yeah. Um, they just were like, no, this is a new thing. 
And then I didn't see Godzilla King of the Monsters, but I did see uh, Godzilla vs. Kong within the last two weeks, I think. And what did you make of it? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a combination of being one of the weirdest films I've ever seen and not being very good either. But it's oh. sort of like, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of crazy. And it's kind of like, do you know what? I know that you've got the rights to King Kong and Godzilla, but they're different sizes. Godzilla is absolutely huge. And King Kong is like a giant ape, but like the, they've done them in the films. Like God, you know, King Kong is like so much bigger than he needs to be. Like in a ridiculous way. It's like you go, well, he must be what? Uh, it's like it breaks your brain, and then Godzilla is huge, and yeah, it does, they do, they just they. I appreciate what they're trying to do. It sort of like works in the old Toho mm. Studio days, where you've got two guys that are both five foot five in uh, giant rubber costumes, and they're fighting each other. Yeah, that's fine. But actually, when you're watching a film like that, and you're thinking about the logistics, and you're thinking about like how the scale isn't quite right, and then it's kind of yeah, well, I wouldn't I say it was disappointing. I wouldn't say I could, you can't even say that that sort of thing is disappointing. It's maybe the sort of thing that you have to watch in the cinema, um, and then never think about it ever again. I think they part of the thing of Kong Skull Island did feel like a setup because they seem to go to great lengths to point out how much bigger King Kong is than he has been in any other film. So you are going, oh, all right, I get it. He's massive now. Oh yeah, yeah. You know it's gonna. You know it's go, It's it's leading up to a team up, and the only reason why they've made him so big is because in the next film or in the film after that they're going to team him up with Godzilla. But the but to the map. But what? So how many films are there now? There's four films in this franchise, and one of them is really fun, <laughs> and then one of them is crazy, and then one of them is boring, and. Um, Neither of us have seen the other one. <laughs> and then uh, neither of us have seen the other one. And it's kind of like, I'd watch another King Kong film. Yeah. Well, that's it. They've created a thing where you're able to skip it. That's what I was like. Actually, I don't want to see King of Monsters anymore. Forget it. But I will and see what, Kong. And what's, and, and it's obviously, it's the Marvel, it's, it's the Marvel route. But the thing is, Marvel have got access to hundreds of characters. And Godzilla and Kong, they've got two characters that neither of which are relatable so you have the love to human cast and i don't give a fuck about the human cast and neither do they really they're all disposable even samuel L. jackson and john goodman are kind of like brie larson is in it tom hiddleston is in it and they're kind of like love them or hate them kind of uh performers mm. so so it's kind of like um who's the guy that plays kong he's um the guy oh, out of Terry Dead Notary. No. Terry Nutkin. <laughs> Who? In Kong Skull Island, isn't it? Isn't it the guy who's <laughs> always doing the apes? I thought it was... Um, uh, Am I wrong? Maybe it, I'm wrong. Uh, he's in it. He's the, he's, the, he's the US trip that goes on his own on like a side adventure and then they write out of the film. Toby, Toby Kebble? What's his name? Is that right? And they cast him as Kong? Doing yeah. somewhat and like motion capture. I didn't realise this. He's yeah, you're right, yeah, too. Toby Kebble. 
Yeah, he's in Toby. He's, he's in Toby Kebbell. Toby Kebbell. He's um he's in Dead Man's Shoes, and he plays like this character in the movie that kind of like uh, fucks off at, towards the end, and it, it's insignificant. But he's Kong, uh, and he was in um, Planet of the Apes, wasn't he? He was the bad guy in Planet of the Apes. Right. So I guess he's sort of like if Andy Serkis is isn't free. And if Andy Serkis is already is a bit conged out because he did it in two thousand three, then um, you can bring him back. You can bring the other one back. Yeah, just looking uh, at yeah, it, it's fine. John C. Riley, and you go great. You've got all these sort of quite very likable kind of character actor people in it, and you just and then and Tom Hiddleston, who is yeah, <laughs> who is sort <laughs> who, of like. Well, I just think that I, I don't remember Tom Hiddleston, so he couldn't have like spoiled the film, you know. No, that's so, what I mean. He doesn't. He doesn't even spoil it. But when you watch it, you do go, "You're miscast." Um, well, yeah, he's sort of like Han Solo. He's meant to be mm. at the beginning. They introduce him in a, introduce him in kind of like a, an underground pool hall where he's hustling teenagers for yeah. uh, racks of pool, and uh, you kind Beats of like, up yeah, everyone in the bar. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically he's Indiana Jones or he's Han Solo, and it's kind of like, okay, who are you going to count? And uh, okay, fine, um, but um, but so he, he doesn't sort of. I just think John C. Riley is so broad and is having so much fun. It's kind of like he's in a different film from everyone else. But even yeah. that doesn't it, it doesn't ruin the film. If anything, it goes. This is sort of like you know this tone that doesn't quite fit with everything else. That's sort of the tone that the whole film is. Exactly. So I think it adds to so the that's fun. All right. Yeah, it's just Whereas, the fun of... When you've got, like, uh, what's his name, Taylor Johnson in the first mm. film, in the Godzilla film, and he's so serious. And the film is so serious and dark, like visibly dark. It's difficult to see what's going on. So it's kind of like, uh, uh, you, you know, it's difficult to... You're not having a fun time. No. Um, this has things like anyway. Godzilla takes the propeller off a helicopter and uses it like a ninja star, and you go, brilliant. Just You just go, great, that's what you want to see. It's it's like, it's Apocalypse Now meets uh, King Kong, and it's just sort of like, it's not really tongue-in-cheek, but it's just like using all of this Vietnam iconography, and the poster was like a pastiche on Apocalypse Now, and it's just very... Of it. it's like it's it's quite a nice the soundtrack is incredible and it's got like this really nice kind of uh look to it and it's yeah it's like it's full of really good moments i think like and great it's, and, it, and it's also like a cinematic language that it yes. is that it is bringing to a new another king kong film so if you look at the original King Kong and the 70s King Kong and the Peter Jackson King Kong, they're all trying to do the same thing. And the 70s King Kong is an update, but it's still trying to recreate the awe of the 30s King Kong. Peter Jackson's King Kong is just a love letter to the 30s King Kong, just trying to sort of like replicate that 1930s feel with early 2000s CGI. And so this is sort of like... Um, the first Western King Kong film where they've gone, ah, we're going to throw that out and we're not going to be reverential to the original. We are literally just going to put a, a giant monkey in a movie. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's incredible. Uh, it's not incredible, but 
No. It's five. It's absolutely five. Exactly. It's three and a half stars. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw um, a movie. So when I was young, I don't know. No, you didn't watch this, did you? I don't know what you're about to talk about. Well, uh, so, um, so when I was young, I think it must have been on Channel 4, and my dad watched it, and I think my mum watched it. Um, and I remember that there, there was another kid that lived over the fence from my house, and that kid had a dad. And my dad was either leaning on the uh, garden fence or were in one of their gardens. Uh, talking to the other dad, and he was telling the other guy about this movie called La Grande Booth. Oh, um, yeah, I've not seen it. And, um, uh, hang on, I've got a copy of it on DVD so that I can tell you all about it. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Here you go. So, um, it, my dad was telling this other dad, this film, Le Grand Booth, he said, oh, you've got to see it, it's... And my dad was like crying with laughter, telling him about it. And so it's always been on my list. Le Grand Bouffe, a film by Marco Ferreri. Uh, it simply means The Big Feast. Um, and it's got this cast, who I am reliably informed were international superstars. You've got um, uh, Marcello Mastriani. Mm-hmm. Who was he in Eight and a Half? And, and Dolce Vita. Dolce Vita. You got Philippe Noiré. So I know the name. Lacage Arfo. Maybe, maybe another name. Arfo too, which is what the Birdcage uh, was mm-hmm. based on. Ugo uh, Tognazi. I mean, I don't know these names. Mm-hmm. But, um, and uh, Michel Piccoli. Piccoli. Oh yeah. Um, and, and one of those went on to be an Il Postino. But basically, um, you've got these they're like Italian and French actors. You've got these four guys. And it's basically like a like the 1973 equivalent of an international Ocean's Eleven movie. They're like the... It's like the Expendables. It's like the cream of the... It's like these guys are all fucking huge. And we're going to put them in a movie. Um together and it's this film where there are these four guys who i guess hate themselves and they meet up uh around uh one of them is a chef and they meet around one of their houses and they just proceed to eat uh for the entire weekend until they die so they're trying to overeat themselves to death like it's sort of like a suicide pact, and but this is sort of like a twist. So, but I went into it knowing it, right? Right. Because this is how my dad described it. So my whole life, I knew it. I watched it with my girlfriend, and she didn't know. Well, no, she did because that's how I described it. But I, uh, uh, um, I watched it. Uh, I watched it, and I recommend it to you. I don't think it really hurts knowing what it's about going in, but I wonder what it's like not knowing what it's like going in. It's almost impossible to talk about it without, like, discussing it. So I guess you just have to say it. And if it doesn't sound like it's your sort of thing, it's not your sort of thing. It's the most... It's one of the most disgusting films I've ever seen. <laughs> um, 
but also I thought it was incredible. And it was one of those nights where you're like flicking through Netflix and then you go to Amazon Prime and there's nothing on telly. And then you're kind of like, oh God, what? And then it's like, and I just, it was late. So I wasn't really in the mood for uh, subtitles. You know, I get to about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock and I'm like, no, I'm not doing subtitles at this point. I'm going to fall asleep. Um, but we did it. And we just, I said, Le Grand Bouffe. And she said, yes. So we watched it. And it's incredible. So I was sort of like, we've got, okay, we've got five minutes. So I'll do this quite quick. We've got some time around as well. <laughs> so what I would say is, you know, um, the human experience when it comes to films um, is like an, an elastic band, you know, and uh, you see an Adam Sandler film and uh, the limits of your mind is stretched to a two, right? Uh, and then every experience you have within that, you might get a one, you might get a two, when you're like, yeah, I've seen that. And then you see a Fast and the Furious film and then your, your life is stretched to about a four and you go, great. And then every Fast and the Furious film or Dwayne Johnson movie is about a four. It stretches your life up to about four. Uh, and it could be a two, it could be a one, it could be within that bracket. But four is sort of like the limit of your experience by that point. And it's been, do you understand what I mean? So like maybe like... you'll see, maybe you see Terminator 2 and you realise that that is actually one of the greatest films, action movies ever made. And then you go, oh, well, that, now it's a nine. You've got it's, limitations of what can happen in a film, you mean? What you can do with a film. And then when you're like at a nine and every film is a, is, has to live up to your yeah, experience yeah. of watching Terminator 2, it's kind of like you watch Fast and the Furious again and it's a three and you go, yeah. And I'm not like saying it's a three out of five or it's I'm not rating it. I'm just like saying in terms of your experience watching a film. So all of the Fast and the Furious films, they might do different variations on a car chase, but they're all within a bracket. Gotcha. So um, it's like what we were talking about before. It's almost like how star ratings don't really mean anything because you're constantly seeing more and then almost things get devalued by seeing them again and again. So you need to see well, something new. Yeah, you need to see something new. Or it's, the, or it's like going to the gym, you know, or travelling. Uh, that's the furthest I've travelled, and now every journey I have is going to be shorter than that journey. And if, in being at your peak at the gym and then going to the gym again and then going, I, I didn't do quite as well as I did last time at the gym, you've got a new standard in your head. Mm -hmm. And I felt like Le Grand Bouffe was the first film that I'd seen in maybe 15, 20 years where I was like, well, maybe not that long, but it was the first time I've seen a very long, something like Audition, where you go, I didn't see that that was possible to do that in a film. Mm -hmm. This isn't a horror film, it's this comedy, and I laughed so hard at some of the most disgusting things I've ever seen, and uh, I found it moving in places. Uh, the performances are great. Um, and it was just this film where I came out of it, and it's like... Um, you're chasing a high now. You're like, oh, yeah, I want to watch another film, but w what's the point if it's not going to be... It was. It felt like a real treat because mm. I felt like I was being offended, not in kind of like a modern way. I felt like I was being offended by this thing where I was just like going, I can't believe that they've done that in a film. I can't believe they've put that on film. You know, 
I'm not. I'm not. Out, I'm not outraged. I'm enjoying. It's like I'm being teased by the film. I'm enjoying yes. the experience of being pushed to my limits on what I will sit down and watch, and I loved it. And it makes me sad to think that I'm going to have to sift through so much shit to find that another thing you know, like to this. find to find another thing that can beat the experience of watching that. So. As a as a film experience, Nathaniel, I recommend it to you, like a million. Just a, I think that you'd either love it or you'll hate. I don't think you'll hate it. I just I thought I was losing my mind watching it, just thinking this is absolutely incredible. I loved it. So there you go. I can't recommend it enough, but it's the most disgusting film I've ever seen, and it's it's <laughs> fucking not for everyone. It's not for everyone, but. My dad fucking loved it, which means that I have to have a really, I've got to have a rather serious chat with my dad, really, because he's just like, "You're a fucking pervert, man." Um, it's like, don't bring mum into this. Fuck me, it's absolutely fucking disgusting. Um, should I just do a fan mail real quick? Let's do. Should we do one and see how we get on, or two? Oh, wait on. No, well, we've yes, got please. Got yes, here. please. Yes, yes, yes. Please do two. Okay, right. We've got two pieces of fan mail. Brilliant. We've had two weeks off. That's one a week, Nathaniel. It was worth taking that break. Um, <laughs> here, here he is. Uh, the first fan mail of season three. Hi, Nathaniel and Natalie. Belated congrats on making a hundred episodes. I'm sure we've done more broadcasts. I'm on a hundred and eight, so I've definitely heard at least a hundred podcasts of fan club that you've made together, taking the Tommy with. Oh, oh. taking the Tommy Wiseau one and the one where Nick overslept and was late into account. There's been fantastic guests and great scores on Better or Worse. Series 2 is brilliant. I've just discovered that instead of listening to the podcast on iTunes, I can listen to the broadcast straight from the Foo Bar app, so I get the songs as well. The cinemas have reopened. So do you recommend diving straight into serious stuff like Oscar winning Nomadland or Judas and the Black Messiah? Or gently easing measures myself back in to reduce any social pandemic anxiety of sitting on a large room of strangers coughing everywhere with something light like Cruella. Those are lovely. Yeah. Cruella's two and a quarter hours long. I don't know how they've managed that. Do you know um, what? I, I would say something like that human voice that I saw is a great one because it's very short and it's quite nice to see something and not be in there for a long time. But I don't think you need to be especially worried. I think it's, you should feel whatever you're comfortable with, and I guess it's whatever you want to watch. By all means, go and see Nomadland or Judas and the Black Messiah, but it should just be whatever makes you go, oh, I fancy seeing that. Yeah, I saw Nomadland on Disney+, and um, I don't feel like my experience was uh, lessened by watching it on TV. And what I will also say is I went to see Tenet and Bill and Ted at the cinema last year when we were able to. I felt perfectly safe. Because no one wants to go to the cinema, so it's, it's completely empty. So <laughs> it's kind of like uh, you're better off in the cinema than you are in Sainsbury's. I think so, it's especially you go during the day, or and I think they've all set up things that you're going to be, you're not going to be sat next to anyone for the foreseeable anyway. You're going to be have seats around or blocked out and things. I think it seems. I know, I know. For example, that last year when the cinemas were open in this country, there wasn't any outbreaks at all linked to any cinema. In the whole country, yeah. I mean, uh, and I and I missed it. It just depends on what if, if you want to go and see it. Uh, uh, I think 
if you really want to go and see it at the cinema, I'll go and see it at the cinema. I thought Nomadland was absolutely fine to watch it on TV, and I enjoyed it. And I'd say, so, if you're yeah. a bit worried, go during the day, and I think most cinemas now, you can kind of see where you're going to see it, and if you look at that screen when you're picking your seat, and it looks like loads of seats have been taken, and you feel a bit uncomfortable, go another day. Pick it. Just pick a time when it seems quiet, and then you'll kind of have most of the screen to yourself. There you go. Which is the best way, anyway. Best way, anyway. Why... Wise words from uh, the expert at that. <laughs> Good afternoon. <laughs> Cinema are open. Hurrah. However, there is a lot of fear about the Oscar winners. Do you have a favourite music festival? What was the best year and why? I'm hoping to go to a couple of local ones this summer. Sadly, they don't really have comedy tents. Don Jolie doing a talk on being Don Jolie Love Podcast. And hope you have Matthew Hyten. Okay, sometime. On oh, sometime. On sometime. We've had Matthew Hyden. If he's been on. He came along. Okay. He's been on. Um, So, I don't know. If you want him back, then listen to that show again. Because we did that one in the studio, and the mess he left in that studio, (laughs) uh, we're not allowed to book him back. (laughs) So, there you go. Um, Festival? My, what's, have you ever been to a music festival, Nathaniel? Um, do you know what? I've only ever been to perform at one. I've never been out of uh, out of fun. Um, so the only time I've had fun. What were you doing? Your, your Bob Dylan covers? Were you? Yeah, doing Bob Dylan covers mainly. Yeah, yeah. Did a bit of tap dancing, modern tap. Uh, yeah, I've, 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 like I, I've often gone to great lengths not to stay over at music festivals. And once uh, went to one on the Isle of Wight, which was where I travelled all day to get there, was on stage for 15 minutes, left and came back home again, because I didn't fancy staying overnight. Was that the Isle of Wight Festival? It was Bestival. Doing comedy at Bestival. Sure. Um, yeah, I feel like I've done music festivals. Oh, cool. Uh, I guess he's in the waiting room. Um, I feel like I've done, I've had my time of well, actually. No, I love festivals. <laughs> I love festivals. I love music festivals. I'm looking forward to getting back out there and doing some music festivals. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know what I meant to say. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's play a song. Then. Um, best year for music festivals, obviously, 1998. Um, so let's play a song. Um, get our guest in. Amazing guest today. 2020, 24 hours from now. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. And we're back. We're back live. We're not live. We're pre-recorded on a Wednesday and it's on a Friday. <laughs> we're back in our studio. We're not in the studio. I'm in my spare room and Nathaniel's in his washroom. And we're joined now by international superstar, uh, founder of the band uh, Trainwreck and the Carl Gas Band, and of course, a little band called Tenacious D. Uh, put, I was going to say, put your hands together, but that's comparing, we're not live. Uh, we're joined now, live, not live, we're joined now uh, by Carl Gas. Um, hello, Carl Gas, how are you? Did you major in flattery? That's all I want to know. <laughs> I mean, I barely said anything complimentary, but I am very because I am so stoked. Show. I'm so pumped up now. I'm the I'm the starter of the D. I created them. I'm an international rock 
Superstar. Oh my god. I'm on live. I'm on live in London. <laughs> So, the great thing is we can't see a dog, so it looks like you've got a sound effects track. It is. I have Foley, as we say. I have Foley. <laughs> as we that say sounds like a dog, doesn't it? <laughs> huh? All right, stop the name. Um, you are actually. Are you? Are you living on a farm as we speak? I. Uh, you know, it was a farm. I think a hundred years ago, but now it's. Uh, we're smack dab in North Hollywood in the big LA city, but. Yeah, 100 years ago, I think it was a farm. But I think even then it was kind of a pretend Hollywood farm. Like we'd sort of build it like a farm. And then, uh, you know, but it's uh, it's a charmer. It's a charmer. So you, don't, so you don't have animals, aside from that dog and the cat? We just have, no, there's no goats or pigs or all the, all the animals necessary for a farm. But I oh. did write a song called Farmhouse Jubilee, which you just reminded me of. Uh, I'm along with like... me, the place I know. I don't remember. I'm sorry. Okay. It's <laughs> okay. a farmhouse jubilee. Did you write? Did you write that in lockdown? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, there needs an. Ex, there needs to be an excuse. I know, but uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I haven't no. seen the today. No. But never say never, Nick. Well, I'm disappointed about the farm. This is largely a farm-based uh, podcast. Podcast. So, podcast oh, radio no. show. Well, we're a fake. So, we're a folk farm. It's Hollywood. Everything's fake. Sure. Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, you've got a new. Uh, you've got a new uh, single coming out called "Vaccinated." Uh, that's coming out. <clears throat> uh, have you been? Have you been vaccinated yet? Well, it would be pretty pretty hypocritical of me to uh, write a song vaccinated. Yes, I have. Well, I'm half vaccinated, and I'm waiting. I've got to wait another seven weeks for the other. For the Did other. Did you death. get the one with the tracking device, where they can uh, find yeah. out where you are? Yeah, it was really it big. Is. It was like an old. It was like an old uh, TV monitor, and they just inserted it into the skin, and it took ages. So they were shoving it. So inconvenient. I've had two injections. That means I've got a tracking device in both of my arms. Now both of, now they know where both of them are. You did it in the separate arms. That's what I wanted to do, too. I yeah. To do I was like, well, I yeah. Mean, I'm one each. That's, that's got to be the even spread. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but you don't get a choice. You don't get a Do you? Because people kept saying... I did, yeah. I, I got two Modernas. I was on it. Two you know, Moderna. I'm old, too. We, uh, we prioritized old people over here because I'm more likely to die than you, a you know, young man as yourself. Well, I don't feel... I feel like, sure, okay... Well, you're well, but I, you, I think you're very young. Well, that's very, that's very, very kind of you. Uh, we're, full, we're all full of compliments today. You're the king of flattery, yeah. I was just taking my cue from you, sir. <laughs> I know, it's lovely. It's really nice. Um, so uh, tell us about your single that you've, that you've got coming out. It's coming out on Friday, Friday the 4th well, of June. I thought I was really being original. I was driving along, and, and the Ramon song came on, and... And it seemed to just go so well with the vaccinated, you know, the syllables and everything. And I just sort of, as we all do, you sort of do an instant parody. And I thought, wait a minute. Maybe I should spend five to seven minutes maybe doing some, <laughs> maybe eight minutes. I don't know. You know, I mean, I was really, I was ambitious that day. <laughs> and so I did it. I thought, and then I did, um, I sort of had a trial on my Instagram. I just played it acoustic and and uh, just a little bit and and that went over pretty well and i thought well maybe i should spend another seven minutes 
and go lay it down in the studio. And then a little while later, I thought, you know, I was patting myself on the back of how, and then I just typed in vaccinated Ramones, and then people had made like four or five videos. <laughs> honestly, I didn't know. I don't, I live in a bubble, a Hollywood bubble here. And uh, so I, it was really the most unoriginal idea that one could come up with. We disappointed. I do think that I, I do think uh, uh, mine is far and away the best, uh, the best one. Yeah. And they don't have celebrities in their video, which is coming um, out Friday. Don't miss it. DIY celebrities everywhere, everywhere. Well, it's coming. I, I, I looked I'm it up. A video for vaccinated Friday. That's right. You got the scoop. It's in K-A-G-E? Fubar. Fubar. Fubar? Fubar. Fubar. Because mm. <sighs> we are we are effed up beyond all recognition. Your video goes live in about 38 hours, because I remember looking it up about three hours ago, and it wasn't, re- it wasn't live for 41 hours. So I think about 38 hours now. Very exciting. Um, That's actually, me and um, Nathaniel are both uh, British stand up comedians, and I um, have. And radio was kind of plan B. It was like, if things don't work out, maybe the radio, maybe a podcast. I don't know, what can we do? (laughs) What can we do? When you say. You're going to put aside five to seven minutes to write a song. It really does bring into context, into sharp focus, how much of the last year and a half I've wasted. <laughs> I could have. If, if you like, like I write songs. I'm not. I'm not. But like, to, to when you actually just say five to seven, I'm going to put aside five to seven minutes to do it. I always think of it as like this unclimbable mountain. You know, it's it's little bite-sized nuggets. That's what you do. Don't think about eating the whole elephant. You just eat a part of them. Yeah, and then you right. There. You could have a hit um, album in thirty-seven minutes, well spaced. If we <laughs> if we get nothing else out of this interview, uh, you've blown and I think my mind. Pretty sure at this point. I think I think the five to seven minutes is uh, is yeah. Yeah, call Tony Robbins. Right. We've got a self-help scoop. So what's it like being in Tenacious D? Well, there's a lot of waiting. You know, the older we get, the longer our careers go, it takes takes a long time to get something going. But it's uh it's great really. You know, you get to uh you get to be in Tenacious D. There's only two of us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's pretty fun. It's a small club. I read that you you two kind of became friends when you're both performing in a play at the Edinburgh Festival. Is that right? That is true. Well, we were just, yeah, just a bit before that, but that was, uh, we actually weren't uh, even really <clears throat> friends yet. Um, he had just uh, subbed in, understudied, uh, and we were going on this big, long adventure to Edinburgh and then to New York, Joe Papp's uh, uh, festival or public uh, theater there and it was quite a it was quite a thing and he was uh, a talented young man and uh, yeah he got on there and then we became somewhat close but then afterwards we were kind of in the same world but you know he's nine ten years younger than me so he's kind of like who is this punk 
And my heels, get them off me. No. What was what was no. the play that you did in Edinburgh? Do you remember much we about did the a play original called Carnage, and it was about uh, TV evangelists and and religion and uh, frauds and grifters and and uh, it was pretty good. It, it kind of made a lot of noise here, and it was around uh, the time all the um, there was a lot of scandals going on in the like those TV ministries, and they sure sure want to take your money and all that stuff, and they were so yeah. Carnage, a comedy, I believe it was called. What year? What, 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 that, right, was in the like, that was in the eight, late 80s. Can you believe that? 89. Uh, <laughs> I, can, I can believe it. I mean, I did my first Edinburgh Festival in 1997. Um, oh, so, well, there but, you go. Even, you're going way back, 10 years later than my way back. Do you remember, do you remember when, do you remember which venue you were in? It was a church, <clears throat> and I don't remember the name of it, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a church. You know, of course, the venues are everywhere. Oh, wait, was that what a church? I, you know, we were main selection. No, actually, or we did a couple performances in a church and some in this large theater with a, with a quite a raked uh, audience, I remember. It was quite large. I don't know if anyone knew what the hell we were doing, but. So you were both part of... Uh... The, the, active active, the, yeah, the, the active, active yeah, there was a, a theater group that originated out of UCLA. Um, yeah, right uh, after after college, you, you major in theater, and then like there's not really a solid career path for you. So you would do a lot. Uh, a common thing was to do a lot of they call it equity waiver theater, which was small, ninety nine cent theater, ninety nine uh, seat theater rather. You can't, I think of that thing now because I remember like hearing about that years ago because it was Tim Robbins was kind of the the yeah. guy who seemed to be the kind of main guy behind it. And I think yeah, over yeah. here when you'd hear about it and all the kind of actors that were involved in it, it felt a bit like a kind of what was it Orson Welles's Mercury Theatre, I guess that it sort of has that sort of feel. I think in our dreams that was <laughs> that was what we were. Yeah, we were pretty. Uh, it was well still going on actually. It's still Tim is still um, yeah carrying on. Oh, so he's still behind it now, and it's still. But there's yeah. like tons of actors, right, that have come from <laughs> from that. Now, when you say tons of actors, I, I don't remember really. Tons okay. Making it out. I mean, Jack obviously got pretty huge, and Tim's very large, but I'm still a minor a minor character. Who else we got out of there? Who are you thinking? I was I think thinking it wasn't John Cusack. Was he involved? John Cusack, somewhat in sort of a Chicago edition of the actors. Okay, Cusack. so you've got your main guys, and then you've got sort of a splinter satellite yeah, of people, have you? In Chicago, called the uh, New Crime. Okay. It all seemed very exciting. Like, uh, I remember, like, reading about it, and it sounds like, all oh, right, this sounds like a proper, it's like a new type of... But what 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 was it? What kind of plays would you put on? Was it kind of experimental, or they were, was it? They were uh, uh, they were like politically charged. They were uh, uh, definitely on the political theater bent. And then we also adopted this uh, in 1984. George Bigot from uh, a theater in France came over and did this uh, seminar or something at, at the Olympic Arts Festival. And uh, Tim and some people picked up on this. Uh, the style we called it, and it was based on um, 
based on uh, old Italian, the Commedia dell'arte, an old Italian. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did all that and uh, just got heavily into that for a long time. And that was kind of the kind of the main thing. So it was uh, definitely not um, more presentational than uh, you know, realistic, as we'd say. And uh, it was somewhat experimental, I would say. But it was pretty exciting. We tried to do it. We try to get attention and make it kind of dangerous and, and um, as, as much as you could in the theater. And, uh, yeah, we made some noise. There was lots of music in it, which uh, which I was got to participate in and create a lot of it. So it was a great it was a great kind of training ground, also a way to kind of work on just work on your craft and uh, hopefully get noticed and and get some actual work on TV and movies, too. That was it was kind of hopefully helping out in that regard. But it was, a, we were, you know, we considered ourselves theater artists and trying to do good stuff. I watched Frasier. I, mean, oh. well, I, I was going to say, you, you watched Frasier? What were you going to say? I watched Frasier recently. Um, <laughs> what were you, you going to say, Nathaniel? Oh, no, I was going to say, I saw as well that um, I watched it recently, the film oh. Brain Dead, which has a lot of people That's from That's my that. first movie. Yeah, I, I'd never seen it before. And it was, uh, uh, you know, it was Roger Corman, the famous Roger Corman. Are yeah. you uh, a aficionado of the uh, cinema? Of Roger Corman? Of the cinema in general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah you must be. You're going deep into that. That was a great way to start in the movie business was doing a Roger. I remember you, you moved so fast from scene to scene. I mean, it was, you know, they're legendarily low budget and uh it was pretty yeah it was pretty fun if that's your first film though are you like does that just seem normal working at that speed what's that uh, if, if that's your first movie and you're saying oh it, it kind of moves so yeah, fast even my first one even i was just, yeah having never worked in one i knew like whoa we are moving along and it didn't seem like anything had to really be absolutely correct and yeah, <laughs> so no serious. I still knew. It, yeah, it was a low budget. <laughs> Instinct told me. And is it fun working on a movie like that? You know, working is is pretty fun. It's definitely for actors. There's definitely the hurry up and wait. Uh, there's a lot of. But then you know you're actors, so you're just you're just John and talking and hanging out and drinking coffee and going to the craft service table and hanging out in your trailer and, and flirting with the other cast members and, you know, doing the wrong things. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but it is uh, it, it is that uh, job 99% boredom and 1% terror. When, <laughs> when you have to deliver, it's like, ah, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's kind of what you're getting paid for, is to, <laughs> is to deliver. But a very small part in that one, as is uh, most of my film career, is <laughs> a lot of small parts. <laughs> But because um, you're in the you're in you're in the cable guy as well, right? Um, and yes, at I the am. end, at the end when he breaks when he breaks the satellite dish, uh, you're the guy that picks mm. up the book and starts reading, right? Yes, and I you... represent the transition where we uh, yeah get away from technology and back to the simpler things but, like reading a book. But the way that you read the book is you put your whole hand on the page. And you kind of like... The way I read the book was, was uh, bad acting. Okay, is that no. what your point is, Nick? <laughs> no. Tough day on the set, all right? I didn't really nail it. <laughs> no, I think it's one of the most... I think it's one of the standout moments of the film. And it changed the way I read books. 
that kind of that's why that's how he got his major in flattery he draws you in with compliments and he boom now, you're used to it, Nathaniel. I can tell. It's like I've seen, I've seen it before. He's setting him yeah. up. Boom! I actually did a whole. I did a whole bit on that moment in my on my podcast. Mm. Did we do it? I'm plugging my other podcast. But uh, yeah, that was a tough day on the set. I couldn't get it. Ben Stiller was the director. He had to shut down the set because he obviously had an actor that was in over his head. And uh, it was it was one of the hardest the hardest days I've ever had. It was it was hard. Are you joking? No, no. It was a simple moment, but it was a really big movie, and there was about uh, as opposed to uh, uh, Brain Dead, which was a low budget. This was a large budget. They had plenty of people. They had a hundred people out there doing something, yeah, yeah. and they just had to sort of walk into the set and uh, and do my bet. And I just I got a little. I have to say it, I kind of froze a little bit. It was uh, it was tough, and I couldn't. So what you saw was the end of, like, Ben talking me off the ledge and getting me to do uh, do it the way it was. But I know it's. I don't know. This moment. What can I say? I don't know if you if you if you need to hear this or if you want to hear this, but I think that that is one of the most perfect moments in in the film. I think it's I think it's great. It's it's really stuck with me. Yeah, I, it's it's crazy to think that well, that was thank difficult. You. That, that, that's I, nice. I, 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 I love that bit because this, the film is so stressful up until that, and then when you have that moment, I think everyone in the audience breathes a sigh of relief. And yeah, uh, yeah it's great. It's fascinating. Maybe that is my mission: is to bring a sense of calm, relief. What is um, what is your favorite film? My favorite film. Yes. I like, um, I really like Rosemary's Baby. It's one of my favorite all-time films. Terrific um, film. Why do, you, why do you like Rosemary's Baby? Well, I had a strange, I, for some reason, uh, it was in my parents' library, Ira Levin, classic, and uh, it's very accessible. It's kind of a short novel with big print, so I was very young at the time, and I read it. And I really, enjoy, I really enjoyed it. And uh, and then they made they made a film out of it, and it was very faithful to the book. And uh, I mean, I just love everything about it. I I just love the story. I love I love the direction. I love uh, Cassavetes and Mia Farrow. And it was just uh, the craziest story. And to take something that sort of outlandish, you know. She has sex mm-hmm. with the devil, and she—I mean—to make that suspension of disbelief, to make it uh, seem like this is really happening, is such a directorial thing. And just the the style of it, the New York City, and the the, the Bramford Building, which was, of course, the famous apartment building that John Lennon lived in. I forget the name. Of it. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, my favorites. Another one is actually a Polanski film too. Is uh, is Chinatown. I'm a big fan sure. I'm not a fan of his, his personals. It's <laughs> probably wrong to be celebrating him, but... but uh, well, but, but I mean, I think you can I think you can talk about the films as a film. Like, one of my favourite films is Fearless Vampire Killers, um, which was which was Polanski. Um, but... Uh, yeah, but he, Will, uh, didn't he co... Uh, well, that wasn't... He didn't... He didn't direct. Did he direct it? Yeah, Something. yeah, he directed it. Yeah. And with Sharon Tate. It by, was that Tarantino co wrote it with somebody? Oh, no. What's no, that? That's What's that? I'm sorry, that's another one. 
That's anyway. later on. Yes. Um, but yeah, so Rosemary's Baby was originally, um, uh, that was a William Castle production. Mm. Uh, and he wanted to direct that, and then Roman Polanski kind of did it. And mm. so William Castle yeah. ended up having like a cameo. When you watch it now, it feels like the origin of all those sort of 70s conspiracy thrillers, like Three Days of the Condor or Paranormal. Yeah. It has that, but she's, it's not political. It's literally, it's about, it's, 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 it's literally like a diabolic cult. It's a personal conspiracy. Yeah. yeah. But it has that exactly the same feel. It's like, when you watch that, I felt like that's almost like the origin of those films, or that's how they've made those films almost based on her experience yeah. of just not I think knowing. It could have been, yeah, part of the times, though, that the, the, you know, the out, outer, outside forces were, you know, controlling things and you didn't have. <laughs> and it is great. I love all that. Cause it's, it's that thing where it is almost that thing now we talk about gaslighting. That's the way it's sort of perceived, except she's right. Right. She's right. I know. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, you can't believe, of course, that couldn't possibly be happening. Yeah, great movie. But, um, and John but when Castle, you have to. It's just spot on. It's just the, uh, I just love how the actor is uh, just portrayed as, as the self-absorbed villain where only thing that matters is, is his career advancement. But the, the reality that they paint is that he's just has very little talent. Mm-hmm. And the guy that the, the guy that uh, went blind is actually Donald Baumgart, I remember his name, was actually the guy with talent. No matter, he, they, they made him blind and he still succeeded. <laughs> it, was, oh, yeah. it was a nice little twist <laughs> while he was doing uh, yeah. Yama commercials. But it's sort of like, um, it's sort of like making a pact with The Godfather and uh, getting a career as an actor, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Johnny Fontaine, as we remember. And then you also have like the, the, the two neighbors, uh, and they're sort of a bit like the two women in Don't Look Now. And yes. you have you have all of these films that seem to be kind of like and The Exorcist as well. But you have all of these films that sort of like spiral out of Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, um, that is really true. I hadn't really made that, but yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. It's another have one. Have you ever seen? Oh, go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say it's another one where the sort of diabolism kind of uh, it's quite comforting. It's quite a night. It's not by the end of it. It's sort of quite pleasant. It's not a. Uh, you know, it doesn't feel like anything terrible is happening. It's just this sort of quite... And I guess at the time it was written, it was probably all that kind of Church of Satan idea, wasn't it? Where it was all that kind of... Everything was more secular. It wasn't well, about... Yeah, like, it literally was. A, they took the uh, real Time magazine cover. God is dead. Hmm. He's God dead. And it was, that was sort of a real sort of issue at the time. How could things be... So isn't, that in the, isn't that in the waiting room as well when she's... I think that might be in one of the... The scenes in the doctor's waiting room or something. I think she might have a, a copy of that Time magazine. But yeah, such a great kind of mood, like real about the time. Really feels like a kind of what's the word? Like a, a time stamp of a that capsule? era. A yeah, time capsule. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, it just grabs a, it grabs that opening song of always. La 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 la. it's just brilliant it's like what the all of a sudden i've drawn in with this lullaby is the creepiest thing and it's just central park going by and new york is beautiful i I can't remember that i can't remember the music but have you seen um have you seen suspiria and are you aware of the band but have you seen another round 
No. Nah. another hour? With Mads. That actor Mads something or other. It hasn't arrived here yet. Yeah, it's coming out in oh, next month, I think. My... What? Where are you? Where are you guys? We're in, in the UK. <laughs> We're in London. <laughs> what? And you haven't got it? It's on, like, streaming services, for God's sake. Oh, no, it's because the cinemas are reopening, so there's lots of things coming back. Oh, and they're holding them back. Well, let me tell you something. This one, it won uh, Best uh, International Film over here in the Oscars. Someone told me about it. And and then right after, uh, I thought, this this actor is, like, the best actor in the world. I don't know this guy. I don't know. Matt, Matt Mickelson. Yeah, yeah, Matt Mickelson. And yeah, I've seen, I've seen him before. And he's just, yeah, he's just obviously. <laughs> and then uh, someone recommends uh, Riders of Justice. Have you heard of that one? That's him too, that? right? That's him that too. Matthew? Of course, a totally different role, really shown his range. And uh, you... it crushes too. It's just, uh, it's amazing. Have you seen the film The Hunt starring uh, Mads no. Mickelson? No, so, oh, right. but that'll be the next one. Is that. Right, write that down. There's a new I'm, film I'm, called The Hunt. I'm, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. There's a, the Hunt. There's a new film called, yeah, there's, there's a new film called The Hunt, which is all about um, uh, politics and it's like uh, Battle Royale. But it's not that. It's an old film called The Hunt. And I remember it came out at the same time as Jack Reacher. And in Jack Reacher, you've got Tom Cruise playing a seven-foot-tall blonde guy. <laughs> uh, and then in The Hunt, as you've got well, a he's really... Good. <laughs> <laughs> He is a Scientologist, <laughs> after all, and they have the power. <laughs> but at the very same time, you've got a guy that's like a similar age to Tom Cruise that's playing this very detailed kind of story about a teacher who gets wrongly accused of uh, touching a kid. And it's like, and it's, but it's like this really sort of like intense, incredible film that was really well, you know, it's like Mads Mikkelsen's incredible in it. And then on the other side, you've got, Tom Cruise is making Jack Reacher, and you're just kind of like, "Oh, grow up, grow up!" Um, yeah. the, did you see? The uh, was incredible. Did you see Doubt with the uh, Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman? Uh, I didn't see. I didn't see Doubt. Um, it is very well done, but it's that sort of like, "Did he do it or didn't he do it?" He's a priest. And of course, he's accused of. He's also the villain, isn't he, in the in the Bond film Casino Royale, where he's a he's a poker player who cries blood every time he's got a bad hand or something, which strikes me as like a disadvantage. But he's like oh, the best think, poker player in the world. Yeah, I think. <laughs> they I might. don't think that would work. Would they, ruin they? they ruin their case there. Philip <laughs> uh, uh, Seymour Hoffman, though, is actually I don't know. He might be my favorite all time actor. Did you see Before the Devil Knows You're Dead? Um, who's in that? Philip Seymour Hoffman and um, and uh, the other guy. Uh, I forget his name. But it okay. was also a famous director's last film. I can't think of his name either. Okay, hang Before on. Before the Devil Knows Before... You're Dead. It's, it's just the most amazing. Sidney Lumet? Yeah. Uh... Sidney Starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, Ethan Hawke. And this is basically now going to deteriorate into us saying, have you seen, and then looking it up on our phones. Um, well, that's why we have these devices. Exactly. It's great. Are we supposed um, to pretend but, we don't have all the information at our fingertips? Uh, Sidney Lumet. I didn't see that. Um, what was the well, film that was, 
What was the no. film that was written by Paul Schrader that had Ethan Hawke in it as a priest? Oh, oh. it's First Reformed. First Reformed? Did, did you see First I didn't Reformed? Think that. And I love Ethan Hawke. Oh, yeah. man! It's so incredible. It's like this film where Wait, you kind of like go, well? oh, it's a. It's about a priest. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I, I okay, don't know me, if I really me. want to watch a film by Paul Schrader about Catholicism. And then oh, it gets really? it. It's, Taxi yeah. driver. Don't forget. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, I've realised normally this show, Kyle, is this for the first hour, and the second hour we get a guest on who grounds us more, and we stop. Oh my God, I'm taking up. You're saying I think you're regular you've on your show. Up. Can you come back every week? <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> Hardcore, the Paul Schrader film with uh, I've never yeah. seen. I've never Archie. seen Hardcore. Uh, oh, you got to see Hardcore. Is it good? It's great. I look it up on the thing. You got your device. Did you see? Did you, you probably see watch Cal- it. Did, did you, you see uh, Calvary? Did you see the film Calvary with uh, no. Brendan Gleeson as a priest? No, I'm gonna. We're gonna oh, have what? a. We're gonna have a priest festival, though. I think. Sure. I watched it two weeks ago, and uh, it was excellent stuff. Um, okay, right. We so should, one of your favorite films, by the way, aren't they just way afield? I mean, haven't they proven What's themselves it? to be a really rotten institution, the priesthood? Oh, for sure. Well, sure. Yeah, but then if we They're got rid of them, then... really good. If, if, if anybody, if any other profession had that sort of track record, sure. But have you seen the the Bing Crosby movie, Going My Way? Well, of course, it's an American classic. Well, that's uh... well, he seems like a nice priest. Well, there you go. Well, all right, then you're right then. Yeah. That movie was made in 1934 about uh, the priesthood. Definitely is an accurate representation. I think that on the scales that tips it in in the favor, right? <laughs> You got all the you got all the bad things, but you got going my way. That's a good. That's a nice then, jolly movie. And yeah. then there's also the film uh, We Are Now Angels, starring Robert De Niro and Sean Penn, and they're not priests, but they're pretending you know, to be priests. They were pretending to be priests, but I remember that has the funniest scene where Sean has to deliver a speech impromptu and as a priest, and yeah. uh, and all, and he he rises to the <laughs> to the occasion. <laughs> And give some uh, some wisdom from the other side that seemed almost priest-like. <laughs> Sean is a tremendous actor. Another yeah, better to be sure, but what a <laughs> tremendous actor! Actually, hung out with him after we did uh, the after party. Believe it or not, Jack and I played because Jack had a small role in Dead Man Walking. Right. And for some reason, somebody thought it was a good idea for us to play the after party, which is just like that's. <laughs> That's what you want. You want some couple uh, heavy set. And it was really, I don't know, I forget what year it was, but we really weren't, we were kind of sort of happening, but the, yeah, it was definitely no one wanted to stop the music. Stop the music. Two guys with the guitars have some funny songs to play. Is that the rap party for the film, or is that the premiere, or the screening? That was the rap party. Right. The rap is the end. We rapped. Yeah. Are you, is that what you're asking? Yeah, but it wasn't like at the screening where you watch Dead Man Walking and then Tenacious D come no, out. Was the a bar. There was a bar. People sure. Drinking. It makes more sense that it's the rap party. Mm. I feel this happens a lot in, in the comedy world as well where people run an event and think, 
we, we want some comedians on now. And you think, you absolutely don't. This is the worst possible. So no one here wants this. I People can tell are quite happy yeah. drinking and chatting. I've been around these situations so long. I can just, just ask me. I'll tell you, no. No, they don't want that now. You're absolutely right. <laughs> it's yeah, like when comedians don't want to see a comic. That's the last thing comedians want. But it's also like when people try and book you for a wedding, and you say you don't want this. You don't well, want this. I I have to say I'm playing <laughs> I'm playing a wedding, July tenth uh, of a friend, and I, I I try to play everyone. They're the greatest. They're the greatest gig to play. For weddings. Oh yeah, no, they're they're well photographed. It's just everyone. It's just such an event you get to be a part of. I, I just enjoy it. I like the vibe. And and the uh, ironically, I don't even believe in weddings or marriage, but but they're just a wonderful theatrical event. What do you play when you play at a wedding? Well, I was. Uh, this was a strange kind of a friend's niece, and they're in Chicago and. He was just asking on the outside, and, and I, he had a request. He heard me play uh, Over the Rainbow was a special request. I do a nice little solo <laughs> arrangement of that. But, you know, I'll be ready if someone yells out a tune. Play tribute. Okay, here we go. <laughs> do, 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 do. But, uh, you know, that's our job. We have to entertain. I just stand up there and entertain. That's like you're thrown into the pool. Start swimming. Have you ever seen the two Jakes? Hmm. Two Jakes? Is that in hmm. your head? Well, it's the sequel to Chinatown. It's terrible. Absolutely terrible. Terrible Sorry. movie. I think didn't Jack Nicholson uh, try to direct that? I think. I think so. Yeah, that was bad. D don't direct. He also directed uh, Missouri Breaks. I think didn't he? I've With not the seen Marlon that. Brando. That's a real misfire. It was Marlon Brando and Jack Nicholson. And it was kind of like, they're in the same movie. It's got to be great. Everyone, this is until people realized, oh, you got to have some kind of script. You can't just, you can't just cast it. Yeah. I think that's a mistake so often made in Hollywood. Because like, this thing is so important. That if you think if you get the right people, and it's uh, really to make a good movie, as you guys know, the... The stars have to align. You have to get a bunch of things. But Jack Nicholson was offered The Godfather, and he deliberately really? turned it down. One of the reasons he turned it down was because he didn't have enough screen time with Marlon Brando, and he was just like, I'm going to do a film with Marlon Brando, and I might only make one film with Marlon Brando, and so I'm mm -hmm. going to turn down The Godfather. And then he did Missouri Breaks, which is a well, pile of shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't know. Everyone starts off trying to make the great movie. You don't know. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Sure. No, no, no. You're absolutely right. You're such a. You're so hard on these people. I'm sorry. It's just <laughs> it's, 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 creativity is a very you know. No, you're right. Body and, of I, and I think he would have been wrong for Godfather as well. So, so he he made the you right know, choice. Godfather is kind of considered our Citizen Kane now, really. It's kind of, mm. it's kind of risen to like, oh, we can all agree that the Godfathers are, that's our best American film, isn't it? And I think they might be right. That well, what else would it be? What else would the best? Uh, mm -hmm. 
Because officially, the number one film is Vertigo, isn't it? <laughs> no. Officially. Mm-hmm. It, it was Citizen Kane for a very long time, and then Citizen Vertigo Kane. came in and picked it. And then Vertigo, huh? Well, I would disagree with that. And now I think we have to we have to cancel Alfred too. Unfortunately, he was not nice. He was mean to his leading ladies. It yeah. was always such a charming affectation that he always cast the icy blondes. Little did we know that he was just kind of stalking and obsessed with her, being a weirdo. God love him. <laughs> But I guess technically he's one of ours. Is he? Yeah, well, he's English. English. Yeah, he's English. He was yeah, English. Of course, that accent. Well, all you guys have the fake accent, so I mean, yeah, you know, it's always hard to say. It's always hard to yeah. say. Where is he what from? A, he's Wait, from, I believe, Leytonstone in London. He's from East yeah. London. Yeah, there you go. There that's you go. Where, that's where the there trouble is. <laughs> You've heard about Leytonstone, right? What about, what about music? What do you listen to? What's what's is what's the music? To to that? That? Yeah, I'm afraid you do. It's part of it. It's, it's like a deposition. This thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, music. I've always been. Uh, well, first off, I'm not like a big fan. I mean, more than others, I don't like collect it, and it's a very random experience. And since I was a wee lad. I've always listened to the radio. I've kind of been a radio head, like the band. But uh, just sort of what pops into my transom. And uh, and then if I like <clears throat> an artist, I'll sort of go in a little deeper. But but not, uh, yeah, it's just a very, it's a random universe with music. Sort of. You're but not I, someone who's specifically into like rock music or specifically into anything you like. Well, I, I actually, I will say rock. Uh, you know, rock was king growing up. Rock and pop, I think. I have a real, uh, I have a, a really soft side on the music. I like, uh, like seventies pop and, but you know, when you break it down, it's always been about songs. I just, I think songs are just a case by case. I think there's good songs and there's mediocre songs and there's bad songs and songs mm-hmm. are songs. And that's kind of, and that's kind of my job too. So I'm always listening and trying to steal or, uh, you know, get inspired or something. I think when it's kind of your job, it's a it's a different. <laughs> it's different. I mean, I love I love music, but I, I love like a three minute perfect kind of pop hit. You know, I think that's always been kind of a brilliant. I guess that that era though, that kind of seventies radio yeah. era, is what you kind of think of, don't you? As those kind of perfect yeah. pop songs. Yeah, just uh, yeah, when uh, yeah, rock was <laughs> top of the charts. It seems so strange now. But, do you have uh, favorites from of those, or do you have anything that you could you could kind of narrow down? Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, when I woke up this morning, you were on my mind. You were on my. Was that the Seekers? No. Although I was listening to the Seekers yesterday. Are they from over there? The Are they from over there? So the new Seekers as well. Yeah, yeah, there's the Seekers and the New Seekers, isn't there? Mm. Uh, I like a lot of that sort of early uh, uh, folk stuff, too. I like kind of like Greenwich Village. I like the Dylan. I've always had a, a Neil Young thing. I like kind of that uh, L.A. Uh, uh, folk rock 
sort of thing. I like that whole have, movement. Have you I seen that documentary that. series of oh, the Seekers of from Melbourne? Did you see the um, documentary series Laurel Canyon, the Laurel Canyon documentary series? You know, I I I think I have it, and I think it's permanently paused right now. I over yeah. been over. It's one of those eras and things, especially you know, I live like five five minutes away. It's almost been over documented now, where I've seen sure. a lot of it, and I'm a sucker for any kind of rock doc or anything like that, so I'll just get sucked in. But that whole era and stuff, I'm pretty familiar with. I don't have to visit it, revisit it too much. I love the Buffalo Springfield. Oh, they were good. Speaking of that, back in the day. Um, yeah. Have you ever heard of a musician called Steve Forbert? Yes, yes. He had that. He had that hit. What was that one? Romeo's, the Rabbit. Ro- Romeo's oh. tune. Ro- yeah, yeah. He had that big hit, and it seemed like, and he was on the cover of. Uh, of the Rolling Stone, and he was the new Dylan. And yeah. then, uh, is that you? Is that are you really Steve Forbert? <laughs> no, I'm not really <laughs> Steve Forbert. But I'm a big Steve Forbert. Why did you bring fan. him up? Is he is he I'm good? A, What's his he, best album? Because he wrote, uh, his his best album is Jack Rabbit Slim, and uh, he wrote a song called Long Rab- Canyon. Yeah, he, he said Rabbit. Actually, yes, he did. And so the album was Jack Rabbit Slim. And he had a song on Alive on Arrival called uh, Laurel Canyon, and or Going Down yeah. to Laurel. And it made me think of it. And then I thought, I've never met anyone that's ever heard of him. And I thought maybe you had. And I have. And you have. You forward. <laughs> so thanks and for coming new, on. And the, new, <laughs> and, so, thanks for, and the new Seekers are from London. So the Seekers are from Melbourne. The new seekers oh. are from you know what, right? In my mind, I thought the Seekers were from Australia, and I wish I'd said it now, because it may would have made me look clever. <laughs> yeah, that song. Actually, I got a movie to show, guys. Right? I'm in a movie aficionado. Here I come. Oh. That's why I remember. He has a weak voice, and that's why I didn't. That's why I didn't. What did you say? What did you say about his voice? He's a little bit weak vocally, I think. Oh, I think he's got. I think he's got a lovely. Of course, he has a wonderful emotive voice. I was just for success terms. I think, just for our talent at the time. Sure, I understand. But I I tell you what, because everybody automatically assumes that I am just into heavy metal music, and then I Why? say, no, I, I like lots of people. I like Steve Forbert. And then people say, who's Steve Forbert? And you go, well, he's this guy. He's sort of pop folk. Yeah. What's his second <laughs> best song? What's his second best song, Steve Forbert? Um, that, whole, that whole album is great. Yeah. I think it's a perfect album. Wow. You're saying uh, it's like Appetite for Destruction. It's just a perfect album. Yeah, I would say it was like Appetite <laughs> for Destruction. I would say that you could put Jack Rabbit's, Rabbit Slim on and listen to it from beginning to end, uh, and it's a, an easy listen. Is this the one? Is this the one? It's all good. What song is it, though? I don't know. I don't... This is going down to Laurel. Oh, I already like it. This one can play us out, guys. 
<laughs> hey, this has been a great time. What's the name of your show? I forget. Fan Club. Fan Club. With Nick and Nate. I'm going to change your name to Nate. That's right. It's kind of pretentious. Oh, well. <laughs> We're Fan Club. Today has been Kyle Gass. What a great show. He's probably been the best guest we've ever had. He would just cut up and be the word edgewise. We talked about Steve Forbes. Good night, you guys. The thing is, that is more professional than the show's ever been. That's more radio. That's how they were supposed to do it. But you don't get to do that, Carl. You don't get to finish our show for us. We have to plough it into the side of the mountain ourselves. Um, I can't believe I'm the um, first guest. That's wanted. Uh, that's wanted to stay. Isn't that true? Um, that's true. You're in a, a small list of people, at least. Um, so <laughs> we are wrapping it up now, though, right? You're. Uh, <laughs> you're I mean, this I don't know, what like, are we doing? It's your show. This was. I've been on a TV hour. I told my manager twenty minutes maximum, and it's an hour. You squeeze me. You win. Oh, it, oh you it's win. an hour. It's an hour. It's an um, hour. We should probably tell you at the 56-minute mark, it is an hour. Um, so I rounded up. What the um, hell? I've got to hand you out. Your, your single, Vaccinated, comes out on the 4th of yes. June, which will be today. It's out when now. It's, uh, it's out now. It's out, listen. out The now. video drops Friday the 4th. I don't know. When this airs, when? Next year? Friday. Year, year? On Friday. On Friday the 4th. Friday? Mm-hmm. Go Friday right the 4th. now. Get right Friday. now. Go um, on your Google. If you have a Google search bar, type in "vaccinated Kyle Gas." Uh, excuse me. And <laughs> um, now remember, um, this video was made with zero dollar budget, so don't be expecting some high flying special effects no. or anything. It's not Avatar. We, <laughs> That's what I've heard. Wait, hold on now. Oh, Where sorry. Not an Avatar. Where do you okay, come nothing. I'm saying it's. Where are you saying about Avatar? Oh, right, then I'm saying it is like Avatar. What do you think of the movie? Do you know what? I never saw it. I never saw it. You never seen Avatar? No. No. What, why were you? Why what? Were you why were I you felt. Cartoons? I didn't know it was like. I I didn't realize it was a, that big a movie. I thought it was a movie I could skip, and then later on I realized it was like the biggest film that had ever come out. So I went, <laughs> oh, okay. I probably but should have also, seen that. What do you think is better? That or Titanic? What do you think was was the better movie? Titanic's better. Titanic. Titanic's much better. But also, Avatar's a film that nobody mentioned after they saw it. It's like that was why no one. I never heard anyone mention it. It was the the biggest. It's the biggest. It was the biggest film of all time. And then as soon as it came out, everyone watched it, and then nobody mentioned it ever again. Interesting. There's something about being the biggest. It can't possibly be the best. The sure. only thing that was ever the biggest and the best were the Beatles. I'm saying that's the only thing. That, but if you get too popular, that's just it's almost like Einstein's. It has to slow down. You can't be that good. Sure. Um, speaking we need of, to play a game. Speaking of speaking of the, speaking of being the best, um, uh, Nathaniel is now going to uh, for the first. Oh wow! For the first guest of the season, Carl uh, Gass, uh, you are now going to play. Uh, if you please, <laughs> better or worse with Nathaniel Metcalf. Okay, this game's called better or worse, and you have to say whether the next person is better or worse than the person before, based on my own opinions to score points. Okay, I'm beginning with Mariah Carey. 
that is Cher better or worse than Mariah Carey, according to me? According to you, I would say uh, Mariah Carey is better than Cher. Nah, Cher. Is Celine Dion better or worse than Cher? Uh, Celine Dion is better than Cher. Worse. Sammy Davis Jr., better or worse than Celine Dion? I have to answer that? That's what I think. Well, I'm sorry. I don't know what the hell you think. I just met you. That's right. I'm going to tell you straight up, y'all. Sammy Davis is one of the greatest of all time. He is. He's better. Elizabeth Taylor, better or worse than Sammy Davis Jr.? Apples and oranges. Sure. Oh. That's, that's, that's how it works. It can both be high cards, but someone has to be better, according to me. Sophie's choice, eh? I got right, so that's how it works. All right. Well, who Tough questions. Again? Sammy uh, Davis Jr., Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, Sammy Davis. Sammy Davis Jr. Peter Cushing, better or worse than Elizabeth Taylor? Uh, you don't know who Peter Cushing is? Peter Cushing, wait. That sounds familiar. You better. Van Helsing in Christopher Lee Dracula films. Oh, yeah. No, I don't know. He's better. He's better. Okay. He's better. Christopher Lee, better or worse than Peter Cushing? I'm going to go Christopher Lee, just because I don't know Peter Cushing. Worse. Bruce Lee. What? Bruce Lee, better or worse than uh, than Christopher Lee? Um, I'm going to go worse. I guess better. He's got to be better than me. Got to be better. Bruce Willis, better or worse than Bruce Lee? Worse. 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 Roy Scheider, better or worse than Bruce Willis? Oh, God, wait a minute. Better. Better. Roy Orbison, better or worse than Roy Scheider? Who? Roy Orbison. Better? (laughs) He's definitely, oh, he's a better Roy. Better Roy. Correct. All right. What's this? For a while. So what's the score? Six. You scored a six. You scored a six. Yep. Which, uh, for, the first, for the first guest of this season, a six is not bad, Kyle. Wait, so I'm, the first, I'm the first? Of yeah. this series? Yeah, this is series. Oh, that's right. Oh. oh, I know. Yeah, everybody <laughs> knows this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter of course, Peter Cushing. Peter he's one of those guys, you know, I don't know his name. He's in, he's in Star oh, he's Wars. Great. He's great. He was in Star Wars? Yeah, I don't like Star Wars. Okay. Whoa. Well, that's fine. We're not big on it. <laughs> uh, we haven't got a time for anything else. So goodbye, uh, everybody. Hope you're all right. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from Nathaniel. Goodbye from Carl Gass. Thank you very much. And uh, look after each other. We're not out of the woods yet, but we almost are. See you, you. Listen to you next week. Bye. Way back in time, someone said try some, I tried some.